The Spin-Off Podcast Network. Raising capital or taking your business to the world? Investment Fix has everything you need to make it happen. This season, we're exploring the US market, the opportunities it offers, what it takes to grow a business there, and the best way to approach investors. The Investment Fix Podcast. Tune in today. Are you making the most of your KiwiSaver investment? Generate is an award-winning KiwiSaver provider with a track record of strong long-term performance. Making a smart decision now could add tens of thousands of dollars by the time you reach retirement. Book a no-obligation chat with a Generate KiwiSaver advisor today at generatekiwisaver.co.nz slash advice. A copy of the product disclosure statement is available at generatekiwisaver.co.nz. The issuer of the scheme is Generate Investment Management Limited and of course past performance does not guarantee future returns. It's Christmas and you are on the Christmas special episode of Dietary Requirements, the spin-off's food podcast. We are coming to you live, well we won't be live when you listen to it, but coming to you live from the beautiful grounds of the lawn bar at the Hunting Lodge. It's one of the first sunny days of summer, which after Auckland's weather is really, really nice. And we're making a little recording of our podcast team's Christmas lunch. Call Simon Day Tokoingawa, and I'm your host, Keita Hiakaiaho. That means I'm hungry. I'm joined today by the spin off food editor, Alice Neville, and Sophie Gilmore, the boss of Delicious Business. <laughs> Kia ora, Simon. Kia ora, ladies. And we're also joined by Joe Wood, the owner of Liberty Brewing. Hi, oh, Joe. Hi there. Hi, Joe. And Pete Turner, the winemaker at the Hunting Lodge. Kia ora. Really grateful for you having us out here, and we are um, currently being served the Blush Crush, a delicious sparkling pink salve, and we'll uh, learn a little bit more about that later. But first things first, we want to thank our sponsors, the Spin-Offs Food Section, and our podcast wouldn't be here without the support of Freedom Farms and the Fine Wine Delivery Company. Freedom Farms believes that everyone who eats meat has a responsibility to know how those animals were farmed, and they provide delicious pork, free-range chicken, and eggs. Uh, You can get your Christmas ham, and Sophie will be actually doing a how to glaze your Christmas ham video with her mum, Emerald, that you'll be able to see on the spinoff.co.nz. Should be a hoot. Order them now from the Faro website or get into Countdown and pick them up. And the Fine Wine Delivery Company is all about bringing you the best beer, wine and spirits at the best price. They've got some really cool superstores on Lunna Ave and Mount Wellington and Constellation Drive on the shore. And they do really great uh, Christmas presents, whether it's for your mum or dad, your client, or just treating yourself to a little bit of extra booze over the silly season. I saw on the Instagram yesterday a really amazing Garage Project gift bag. should get into that as well as the Liberty Brewing, uh, of course. Very excited to be uh, here Um at the Hunting Lodge. It's a recent development out on the lawn. What do you guys know about how long the lawn bar's been around? We know everything about it. Tell me some more. It's been about um, close to a month now. Um, yeah. Haven't been blessed by uh, New Zealand's spring yet, though, have you? Not yet. Auckland in December, anything can happen, hey? 
Um, but yeah, one month into it, and um, uh, this is what happens, I guess, when you get a brewer and a winemaker together, a few drinks, and um, and throw around a few ideas. But basically, it's um, yeah, it's all about connecting uh, connecting the site, really, isn't it? We've got um, we've got a beautiful permaculture garden um, and the vineyard just uh, that we can almost see from here, and then looking back at. Uh, 10, 11 Liberty Bears on tap, right? That's right. And we've got some p- pods of peas that have just arrived from Chef Des Harris straight out of the garden, I assume. Oh, nice. Are they sugar snap peas? I don't know. I reckon take a bite, but don't chew too crunchy long. Crunchy and delicious. So crunchy. There's a lot of listeners out there now with crunch envy. Mm. Yeah, wow. We were just speaking about that. Des took us for a tour of the garden, and um, it really is so true that vegetables taste different when they come straight out of the garden fresh um and i think that if we could all recreate that at home or um in our produce section we'd be winning these are absolutely delicious the supermarkets would be quickly out of business if everyone knew what uh real fresh veg and fruit tasted like do you want me to chuck you one simon yes please thank you i think a lot of that comes down to um ripening on the plant rather than you know they they pluck it or whatever they do pick it early and they Mm. don't, don't develop those final ripen to flavours. So what brings you two together, a winemaker and a, and a brewer? Well, there's a, everyone knows the saying in the wine industry that the secret to making uh, good wine is lots of good beer. And um, Why is that? Well, they get palate fatigue. Yeah, and you can't, of, uh, you can't drink a lot of wine during the end of a shift. <laughs> yeah. Not as much as beer. So as a winemaker, we catch up with a few of the local winemakers for a, for a beer at some of the local craft breweries. And uh, I've always been um, amazed, probably a little bit jealous actually, of uh, how brewers seem to um, have this amazing sort of um, blur between work and uh, pleasure. And uh, so we'll be sitting there, a bunch of winemakers, sipping on our pints of vanilla lager and there'll be a bunch of brewers sitting around in a, in a craft beer brewery and then you realize talking about all the wacky things that they can put into their beers and flavors they come up with and uh and then there'll be someone like joe comes over and says hey winemakers you guys should try something new and um that's uh that's probably my first memory of uh of joe other than um, him stealing our lab manager was probably my second. Stealing your what? Lab our lab manager. manager. Oh, okay. Who, who, who secretly wanted lab, to be like a Labrador. brewer his whole entire life, I think. The old staff poach. Mm. Yeah. Thanks, Joe. That's my pleasure. Yeah, Todd, he was the guy who introduced me to Pete in the first place. And then, um, so he was running the lab here for them. Um, he was a mate of mine for the last couple of years. Lives out Helensville where we are. And um, uh, I think he, he invited me to a um, um, like a ferment trial, so that during fermentation of wine they'll see what compounds they're picking up and what needs to be done, whether it's sulphur, they need to need to need to stabilise it or whatever it is. So um, Todd was he's really passionate about fermentation, and he, he really loves the um, flavour. Um, what do they call that? The um, biotransformation that occurs from when it's grape juice to when it's wine. Mm-hmm. He says that there's this middle point where, where it's just this amazing drink. And um, they had a bunch of wine during that stage um, this year's vintage. 
um, and I came on on a Saturday. They were doing the the, the trials and I met Pete and yeah, that was that. It was, it was, it was that. heaps of fun. But I think that's so interesting in that a brewery can poach a winery's lab manager. Lab manager, yeah. Because there are a lot of sort of nerdy parallels between the processes, right? There are, right? Well, Todd, Todd's a home brewer as well and so whether you're making 20 litres of beer or 2,000 the process is the same so he'd been home brewing for quite a long time and when he applied for the job opening that we had these sort of things are taken into consideration and I didn't know Pete at the time so now I feel guilty but at the time I didn't really give a shit <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. have you guys but, gotten over it? oh we're getting there <laughs> yeah it's a little bit awkward still I think that there's a um a, a rumour that you two have your own bromance going. So maybe you could run us through that. The process of how you two met and how we ended up with the blush crush sparkling pink Sauvignon Blanc. So it, so it goes, yeah. So we keep hearing. Um, so the blush crush was an idea. This is, I can put all the blame on Joe for this yeah, one. I mean, I, I, I he says to. blame and I say I want to take all the credit for it because yeah. it's, <laughs> yeah. it's so, so Joe, fucking nice. Yeah. Joe comes to us with this idea about um, he'd just been down down uh, Central Otago yeah. tasting during harvest time tasting fresh Sauvignon Blanc juice and just like uh, blown away by the uh, the aromas and the intensity of the of the juice itself and um, he said you know we've got to make uh, we've got to make something out of this you know how about like a sort of Prosecco or Frizzante inspired Sauvignon Blanc with the full Fiole aromas, which are your um, your grapefruit and passion fruit aromas, but a bit of sweetness, but also a lot of fizz. And Why? Just, uh, Why did you think it would be appropriate well, to fizz it up? It's well, I mean, there's there's several factors there. Like CO two is a solvent, and it, it it carries a lot of those aromas up the glass. Um, even like when you crack a bottle open, you can smell it. Um, yeah. If it was still you'd really have to like swirl it around a lot and yeah. um and that's sort of you know part of the wine drinking experience but um if you can dumb it down for people where they can just have a bottle and smell it coming out of the bottle then you know it's it's it's, it's making the experience a lot easier for them so okay and to be honest i uh i wasn't into it initially the idea of sauvignon blanc it gave me nightmares of uh 2008 yeah when, i was when, gonna say when, uh, new zealand had a bit of a glut of sauvignon blanc and uh it was like trying to invent every which way you could of ways to get rid of savvy and, and there's, that there's, was the birth there's, there's, of uh, these pretty no insipid sparkling savvies with a you know, little bit of sugar added back to them but this is quite different what we've done here is um We've, we've blended a couple of components. One which we've um, one batch which we've fermented the juice right through to dryness. So we've got those um, that aroma spectrum that we're looking for. So there's a typical sort of savvy punch of you know. And those uh, those thiols form really late during fermentation. So if you just cut the ferment off, it would it would still be nice, but you wouldn't get those really nice sort of what do you call it passion fruit capsicum. Kind of thing. Grapefruit, yeah. yeah, and then um, and then another component we uh, we stopped the deliberately stopped the fermentation early, and that's just left a lot of residual um, grape juice sweetness in it, and um, that provides the balance against the um, against the fizz, but also a lower alcohol content as a result. So we're looking at you know a um, a proper sort of prosecco 
frizzante, 9% alcohol. Because that's what really excites me about this, is it's, <clears throat> excuse me, sophisticated, but really accessible at the same time. It's so good in the sun right now. It's really refreshing, but it's... Um, the flavour profile is complicated and exciting. and You can taste the natural sugars. It doesn't taste... When you see a drink like this in this kind of bottle, you expect a mouthful of sugar when you drink it. But, yeah. it's yeah, it's not that at all. Absolutely. I mean, um, sophisticated Simon um, <laughs> will take that. But, uh, no, I mean, it's a, it's a fun drink for summer. It's, uh, it's something that's best enjoyed, chilled, nice and cool and uh, it is an aperitif at the end of the day it does seem kind of like the polar opposite of say a really hoppy liberty brew so i find it quite interesting that joe obviously you're that you would be into something like this like but that's just my stereotype mind yeah i mean there's, t- there's, there's yeah. two ways you can um, we're we underestimating you just for the listeners joe's actually wearing his um his wife's sunglasses right now <laughs> so that, he is Sophie. feeling a little bit pink and fizzy What's um, that one? That's a pulled pork bun. Yeah, I mean, there's two ways you can look at it. You could, you could, you could assume that um, that this is, you know, the opposite of a really hoppy beer. But I mean, I, I'd argue that it's extremely similar because if you just drink Sauvignon Blanc, it tastes like Sauvignon Blanc. This turns like this tastes like Sauvignon Blanc turned up to eleven, which is effectively what a hoppy IPA is. It's a beer that's got all the flavours concentrated in there, a lot of hops and a lot of malt. So, And there's, yeah, there's a bit of a parallel there, I guess, with the um, with oxypyrazines, which are, you know, your, your grassy green sort of capsicum characters that, um, alongside hops, right? Yeah. In terms of intensity. Yeah. Well, good on you, team. I think it's an awesome collab, and it tastes bloody delicious. And I think it's perfect for where we are, and I think that's what's really exciting about the space is it's... Just built for a little bit of relaxing, a little bit of enjoying, because we've got a whole lot of food um, that's coming out right now that again is it you know really accessible things that you know really well burgers and hot dogs and fries. So just a little bit more sophisticated than you'd expect. With a touch of Des Harris. What, what, is, what does Des call it? Casual. Here he is. Here Des, he is. what did you call the food? Casual... Casual lawn oh, dining. thank you. Lawn dining. Should we get Casual Des to... Lawn dining. Lean into Simon's and tell us what we're eating, I reckon. <laughs> say say hi. Yeah. Yeah. Just so say hi. Hey, everybody, I'm Des. Um, we've put together this little lawn dining offer in association with Liberty. Um, it's nice to be able to create food to go with beer. Gives us a chance to do some dirtier stuff. Um, so we do dogs, pulled pork loaded fries um, then we do some stuff with a bit of finesse as well we do some salads from the garden our food here is very much about the produce that we grow ourselves and we do everything on site we bake our own bread we uh, we don't take any shortcuts so it's all deliciousness what is anything else well I, last thing I know you got to go chop some onions um, <laughs> is it hard being a destination restaurant how do you get people to come come all this way to, to have You know, it takes food. time. Uh, we're really lucky that the ownership really understands that. As a destination restaurant, you have to work that little bit harder to become established, but we have a story and we really f- will follow through, or are kind of following through with our promise. That's really, really important. Uh, we are worthy of a journey, you know. You no longer have to, to get this experience, go over to Waiheke, jump in the car from the city, you're 20 minutes, you're here, you know. So, A, much easier to get to, and on a nice day, it's like, 
it's priceless. Yeah. Beautiful. Mm. This is just still fun too, though. Yeah. <laughs> What's that? On a shit day, it's still fun. Oh yeah, totally. <laughs> this has just delivered our um, resident vegetarian the most beautiful summer salad. It's Pesca- delicious. Pescatarian. Pescatarian. Yeah, I got hounded a bit for for the menu not leaning itself to pescatarian. Well, <laughs> enough. So I, I just. <laughs> Alice does it's, it's, let you know what she thinks. It's one of her... Um, <laughs> my my foibles. They don't put people without opinions on podcasts. I just think... Or the dirty, I love the dirty food trend. Like I quite like unhealthy food, but a lot of, um, of that food is only meat-based. And I'm like, no, I want like cheese and like carbs. You want to come to the party too? Yeah. I don't just want a kale salad as much as I love a kale salad. That's my point. However, that's bloody delicious. Yeah, you need to try the kale salad oh, yeah, before you make that it. statement. Say, but you it know, it's not going to fill. It's not going to. It's not dirty. It's not going to like to that one. Come on, but the if you I was hung over, yeah, yeah. But I get it. I'm probably in the minority, so the thing is, probably the major, vast majority of your customers will just be like, yes. Yeah, I don't know. I hear you. I, I feel yeah. a hoagie coming on. I think. Yeah, yeah. I was talking about um, <laughs> the fed delis. Oh, maybe it's blue cod. I think it's blue cod. Hoagie, which is yeah, because I eat fish, is a um, a delicious sort of dirty food option for people who don't eat meat. Yes. And for our sausage episode, mm. Alice made a delicious Welsh Glamorgan sausage. Really? What's in that? It's basically just breadcrumbs and cheese and herbs and onion and oh, like stuffing. It's um, so good. We had. Uh, Rebecca and Darius from Kazador on the podcast that day and Rebecca compared it to a like falafel but Welsh falafel which I think was quite it, it was almost like a kind of but there's dumpling. no pulse is it just it was just cheese and breadcrumbs yeah but I used nice bread but I guess if, I guess if bread yeah if bread has enough moisture in it you can see how it would emulate yeah falafel okay has this got the pickled coriander seeds in it? It does. Oh, yeah. I've just eaten three of them. Oh, we just yeah. went to the zucchinis in the garden, New Zealand yeah. spinach. Like it's all, it's all produced here. Just a bit of cheese that we buy in. We went to the garden with Des just before we sat down, and he was speaking about letting your coriander go to seed and pickling the seeds. And Simon asked the question about what the difference is between a dried coriander seed and a pickled one and it's it's a completely different thing it's a different party in your mouth it's fascinating i'd like to try it uh doing it with when my coriander goes to seed actually seeing the no dig garden perma, permaculture gardens inspired yep. my my lawn at home is fucked it's um <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's like it it's, it's knee length weeds basically and i want to replace it with a no dig garden so you need to kill that grass i'm going to yeah, you got to lay over some tarpaulin, kill that grass, mark it out, go buy your, buy your, I almost said shit, buy your stuff from the garden shop, lay some gardens and just go to it. Because yeah. I have yeah. um, genetically green thumbs. One of the best vegetable gardens I've ever seen was the one I grew when I flattered with um, Sophie on Franklin Road. You know, we had, we had corn growing up providing a wind shelter for the deck. We had... Too on much. the main streets of Freeman's Bay. That's cool. Was it good? It was, it was the best corn I've ever had. Yeah. You didn't even need to you just take it off and eat yeah. it. It was so Whoa. juicy and exploded. Yeah, my partner's just planted some corn at home. Yeah, I was a bit dubious about it. So no, is my I, husband. I, he planted I, a whole vegetable. One of the There's uh, only two beds and he planted one whole thing with corn because he thinks it goes with every meal at, 
in summertime. I agree. What buzzed me out so much was how from that, you know, what looked like a corn kernel, what was a corn kernel, which is the seed, you learn all these crazy things when you garden, um, <laughs> grew into this giant stalk. And yeah, it was incredible. It's incredible. Nature is buzzy. The life cycle of a plant is, is something truly amazing. Mm. And you can utilize everything from each part of the life cycle. And, and we've got oodles of land where we're able to let the plant go through it. And we can, you know, let some go to seed and pickle the pods and, you know, use the pollen and, you know, and of course, gather the seeds to plant again next year. But It's quite yeah. intimidating for the untrained gardener, isn't it? Because I feel as though... I'm yet to find my green thumb and I blame my mother because I was once um, grounded and forced to weed the garden. But I think that I I struggle with where to start. So I've, I've done things like buy the book. It's like you can't just buy a book and then start gardening. So I think you need to pick a crop that resonates with you. And, you know, I'm talking outside of herbs. I can obviously grow herbs, but... Um, good, that's good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you'd just hope start so. simple, right? And yeah. just start with some tomatoes and just take it from there. Radishes. Yeah. Radishes. Gain, yeah. Well, radishes, radishes are so you easy can't to grow. Radishes up. We did a, yeah. um, so delicious. Our gardener, just for the record, gave us a bunch of radishes right at the start and we were like, you're fucking joking, mate. Yeah. We want, like, you know. <laughs> yeah. We did a, um, when we did a tour of the gardens um, at the Ballymaloo Farm, the founder of the farm's called Darina Allen, and she's got um, she's quite eccentric. And she walked around and was just sort of picking up the soil and thanking Mother Nature for it, and it was all very inspiring. And then she, when we got into the glass house and got to the tomato aisle, she looked around and said, "How many of you have planted tomatoes before?" And I think probably ten out of thirty said yes. And she said, "Any idiot can grow tomatoes." <laughs> true. So that's going to be my next mission. Yeah. And chilies, chilies are real fun and easy. Mm-hmm. I've got to get back to my onions. But right. Thanks, Thanks for popping in, Dears. Thanks, Dears. Oh, are you happy with the food? Beautiful. The food is delicious. Thank, Thank you, you Janet. Could you what? pass you us some of those delici- yeah, delicious think, fries? Do we, do we need any more Blush Crush or should we have some beers? It's probably time to try beer. Or... I'm ready yeah, for beer. We'd love... So the um, Hunting Lodge are doing, um, over summertime, a grape versus grain specific promotion. And... Um, What's cool about that is that you have a tasting paddle and it's half wine, half beer. Um, and the lawn area that we're sitting in is it's got festoon lights and palm trees and it's got a massive um, outdoor pizza oven. The idea is that if you come out here in the weekends, they fire up the pizza oven and you can order lamb ribs, flatbreads, pizzas um, and hang out. Bring your kids, I hang out for the day. I saw some Swedish kub. Ooh. Made by the Kub brothers. I love Kub. <laughs> Our friend makes the set, so just oh, really? a dirty, dirty little shout out to Freddie. Have we told people where this place is yet? I don't think we have. No. Should we tell them? I, I think know. maybe Joe should explain exactly where we are, or someone that's more familiar. First of all, would I. anyone like this pulled pork burger? It looks delicious. Yes, please. Here you go. I, it's well, isn't it Pete's t- Tewar? It is. Yeah, I Pete guess. So you can, uh, t- you, you so can talk about in, your uh, We're in the uh, thriving metropolis of Waimaku. Only 30 minutes from downtown, and this is uh, just just inland from State Highway 16. Um, if you were to come here, heading, you'd take the roundabout for the Murawai turnoff, take a right instead of a left, coming from the city. And um, yeah, the sun's shining. Murawai, it's not such a bad thing. True, but the whole 
grape versus grain menu was inspired by an event that we did over winter. Mm, man, that was fun. Where uh, we pitched uh, beers against wines according to dishes that Des had uh, a dig- bit of a degustation that mm. Des uh, created. And uh, it was a fun night, right? Um, Joe was a little bit scared. He put his wife up to, um, oh, to do the I talking. Didn't have an option. But, yeah. <laughs> And uh, on the night, you know, I mean, because wine, I guess, has a little bit of a natural advantage sometimes when it comes to its acidity, can sort of, I guess, break up textures and release flavours and things. But uh, on the night... Uh, yeah, I, I thought we were going to get our asses kicked. Like, to me, f- food and wine, they go really well together, and they always have. And I've always struggled with drinking anything other than lager when you're eating food. So I thought it was going to be an absolute downtrowel. But it wasn't. No, no it was very close. Bear, it was very uh, close. Bear took the uh, trophy on the night. I did um, have to buy about um, two thousand dollars worth of tickets and like. Same thing. Same thing. Yeah. But yeah. no, it, it is. It's an increasingly uh, applicable art is the matching of beer and food, and I think as beer gets more um, sophisticated, and I think. M- perceived differently as well in people's minds oh. <laughs> uh, that, was that, for the that, that was my idea to make that wine fizzy <laughs> in, in the soda stream or a method we actually did the trial bench trials with the soda stream machine and, I once, um, I once heard of a, um, a hen's do that ran out of champagne and at the end of the evening everyone was it makes, a, it makes cut, a hell of so a mess. So they just put white wine in the soda stream and carried <laughs> on. Keep an eye on the spinoff.co.nz because we are planning to do a big trial in the office of soda streaming different wines and writing about it and seeing what works best. Awesome. We were halfway through celebrating the ability of food and uh, beer to be considered good friends now, which is a great thing. Yep. Yeah, I mean, it helps um, that there's sat us down for a um like a trial platter session you know and he he had some ideas for food that he wanted to um put out and it was yeah you you really had to think about your range of beer and um what was going to work with what but um the hard part in fact was um that he makes such balanced dishes on 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 their own it's not like you needed that beverage to to, yeah whatever it was He's got all these pickles and various things that, that they puts on the platter, and you know, one thing on the plate might have worked well with a beer, but then the pickles and stuff like that didn't necessarily. So, um, and the same same to be said about the wine. But, what um, was your favourite match? For me, we did a um, the dessert was um, yeah, it was, fuck, it was good. Yeah. Gotta tell, tell me what it was. Was it one? Was it your prohibition porter or something? Uh, oh, I can't remember. Can you remember? <laughs> it was the prohibition, I think. Yeah, yeah. Was, oh. was something chocolatey? Um, no, no, it, was, it wasn't uh, actually. No, it was actually a fair bit of citrus in there, wasn't yeah. there? Wow. Yeah. If I yeah, it's about genius. Yeah. Well, p- p- fucking Pete, he fucked it up for himself because, to be honest, <laughs> it's it's either what do you, what, what what's your saying? It's 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 complement or contrast, right? Yeah. So. Orange and chocolate, perfect. Yeah. And, and and what are you going to do with wine? He, he goes and makes this flipping... Des and I tried to get a little bit molecular 
the astronomy on it and it um that's where we were so 2014 that's worse than putting a glut of seven year block that's what lost it for us i think yeah we did win more rounds though there were five rounds we won three rounds and they won two um and we and 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 we also won more votes so do you think hoppier beers are difficult to match with food? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't care what anybody says. Um, I agree. They just the uh, hoppy beers are hoppy beers, and um, there's not, in my opinion, like it's pretty uneducated, but it's it's a beers a hoppy beers are just hoppy beers, you know. I mean, what are they going to do? There's there's they, 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 all these writers say things like you know you can play off the bitterness and and this kind of thing, and and I mean don't don't get me wrong, there's no doubt more compliment than contrast if you're going to be pairing hoppy beers with food um pete came up with that one he's a i gotta use that all the time yeah but now. you i mean i guess the the difference there is that you can kind of cheat a little bit and conjure up a brew that can match a dish just like that <laughs> we we get one shot listen to it listen to it this is out of of our range man we didn't we didn't do any seasonals brother (laughs) it was all good i think it was all yeah uh, how was the weather that year a little bit doctored that whole thing (laughs) and you Um, don't do many sours or that kind of beers do you um we've done a couple of um kettle sour type beers but Mm. um for me um they're a bit shit (laughs) and like if you go, so there's there's two different types of sour beer. You've got kettle sours, which are a bit of a craze at the moment. But um, you know, I mean, there are some good ones. I'm, I'm not going to bag them, whatever. But um, and then you've got um, biological sour beers, so um, things that have yeah, spontaneously bom- that's right. fermented. Spontaneous, yeah, that's the one. Yeah, so I mean, those things are great. Um, there's there's a couple of brews in New Zealand who are pulling them off, and um, and they're fine. And but far out, man. The ones that they produce in Belgium are just let them do that. And what we'll do in New Zealand is what we'll do in New Zealand. We'll just use New Zealand hops, whatever. Um, I can't, I can't, I can't do what they do in Belgium. Like, there's no way even if you know if we're going to produce something, you want to produce it, and it's got to be good. Um, And you can't expect people to buy shit. So, fuck it. I think the commitment to quality is kind of the thing that I heard someone say the other day, um, Liberty was on the menu of the beers and they were like, you could actually drink any of their beers and that'd be good. It's so true. It's shining through. I, my brother-in-law and I have this thing of like, if you're trapped, if you, if there's like an apocalypse and you've got to choose like three breweries to take with you and that's all the beers you could ever drink the rest of your life. And we always choose Liberty. Like that's always in the top three. Yeah. Oh, you girls say that to all the guys. No, no. <laughs> Absolutely. True. And going back to that whole saying about, uh, yeah, the key to good wine is good beer. We've got 11 beers on tap now, so expect the uh, wines to reach the next level. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> They're Pete, already there, Pete. Don't be so yeah. modest, mate. Pete, can you tell us about your um, your favourite wine, the wine that you're most proud of that you're producing here? I think it comes back to the vineyard here and the the terroir that we have this is home to the first sauvignon blanc vines planted in in new zealand by the spence brothers who founded Matua back in the day uh very quickly kind of learned that auckland's not really the best climate for sauvignon blanc or or too many grapes to be honest it can be pretty challenging with the weather conditions so what we do is we we want to 
honor that tradition and that heritage of Sauvignon Blanc here, but we're just treating it a little bit differently. So we do a, a wild barrel fermented Sauvignon Blanc under our home block range, which is uh, just another way of looking at savvy really. And uh, that's probably one of the most fun wines to make. We break it down. We only harvest a, a small amount of grapes, but we uh, we break it down into about uh, 10 different uh, parcels with differing levels of um, juice solids and and different oak, much to the um, angst of uh, our cellar team. Yeah. Um, it's a lot of work, but it's uh, it's a lot of fun. So awesome. hopefully we'll try that um, soon. So we basically asked you to choose your favorite child. Mm. Yeah, it, it, pretty much. I mean, you ask any winemaker what's their favorite wine to make, and it'll be Chardonnay. Basically, we've made this Sauvignon Blanc like a Chardonnay. Yeah. And that's, mm. and so that's did you because, say it's fermented uh, in barrel? It's fermented in barrel, yeah. I with think the, I had that one when I came out here last year, actually. It's very good. I reckon I'm definitely the Chardonnay of my family. <laughs> yeah. I think. Yeah. Chardonnay, I think, because, you know, you can you can manipulate it, you can put your stamp on it. I mean, it, become, it can become a very egotistical wine. It's hard to sort of issue some sort of degree of restraint, but it's, uh, it is a lot of fun. Although I'm enjoying the... Um, different iterations of Sauvignon Blanc. I think there was one um, that we had at the list, um, on the list at Bironway that was an Astrolab Sauvignon that was um, oak aged and I absolutely loved it. And that was, I definitely was one of those people that was feeling a bit anti-Sauvignon in general and just not really that willing to re-enter Absolutely. I mean, people are people are pretty quick to dismiss savvy these days. Have but you bought that high solid sav yet? We haven't. Um, ah. We should have brought out a sample of that. But um, we, yeah, I mean, there's there's some really cool alternative yeah. style savvies out there now. I went to a tasting yesterday, and Fox's Island were there, and they are aging their Sauvignon Blanc on its lees and yeah. bottling, and it's just it's a completely different taste Absolutely. i just think it's so awesome and uh you know dog point section 94 yes. yeah. Uh, yeah gray wacky and even um you know even man of war uh with their gravestone you know they're they're all great new zealand classic new zealand sauvignon blancs all right you heard it here first styles. guys we're back on the sauvignon blanc we're the sav squad <laughs> yeah i'm, I'm like i'm, I'm like one of the biggest the drinkers crush. of sav <laughs> are you <laughs> fuck yeah on you mate i'm a, yeah i'm easy but you got to give it to Pete, though, man. Like, <laughs> this latest batch of Home Block Sav, I'm lucky I get to come in here and we get to try the barrel samples and all this sort of thing, and this high solids one. Pete can explain what that is a little bit better, but it is just so out there, man. It is so funky and awesome. Yeah. And you talk to any other winemaker, like I do, I go to a lot of wineries in the area and, you know, during the, you know, aging period and stuff like that, do barrel tasting and stuff like this, and... You say to the winemaker, bro, you got to bottle that. That is fucking awesome. And, and, and then the generic response is, yeah, well, you know, the rest of the batch needs that barrel, so we're just going to have to blend it out. And right. Same thing I said to Pete, mate. you got to bottle that. It is exceptional. Yeah. And he bloody well did, man. What a fucking legend. Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. Awesome. You still, you've got a salad at the end of the day too, though, Joe, remember? <laughs> yeah. Um, and yeah. It's one some, barrel, man. It's one barrel. It's like... Some of these wines do, you know, they are a hand salve. They're a love and a passion. Um, you know, they're never going to be big commercial. Sell it all to Joe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Three bottles. I'm he pretty sure I can drink that. Sounds like it's already sold. <laughs> How many bottles did you drink last night? Oh, I had a bottle of um, Section 94, and it was, as well as various other drinks. 
Because yeah. we are in the middle of December. Was your Christmas party last night? Uh, it was our malt supplies Christmas party. Yeah. That's the problem, eh? You got to go Tom to Tom like... Adams. Yeah, Tommy Boy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Took us out the depot last night. Trouble. How many um, uh, how many oysters did Tom eat last night? Uh, it's not just Tom, man. Like we 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 went and spent a weekend over in Waiheke during the um, oyster festival. We we ate a gross of oysters. I've been with Tom when he did the. No, I was with someone that was on the end of the phone to Tom when he did the Hundy Club but with oysters. Oh <laughs> one oyster every minute for a hundred minutes. That was at Hellertow. Awesome. And I actually ate 102 because I got snuck wow. a couple of ones that I lost track of. Awesome. So How did sitting, you feel after 102 oysters? I felt like shit. Yeah, yeah it, was, it, was, it was horrible. But um, He claimed to feel fine. Yeah, he's a, he's a beast. He's a liar. <laughs> I sat there sitting a beast on and a liar. number 99 for like half an hour. I was like, I just needed to get that 100th oyster in my mouth eh? and I was just like, Every time you pick it up, you just gag. It's like, oh, fuck, this is so bad. Yeah. Anyway, and it turned out that I'd already had 100 at that stage. Yeah, you'd already won. <laughs> but we thought as a celebration of um, the season, we would talk about some of the unique foods that appear on our dinner tables at Christmas. And I don't, I don't want to be mean to my grandma in public, but... I have no idea why the nectarine and red onion with the really vinegary vinaigrette shows up every year. It just seems to disappear every year, but it's the only time. She's a great cook, but it's the only time she'll ever break, break out the nectarine and red onion salad. I, I did a nice... Um, Don't do it. I did a nice nectarine salad last Christmas, I just remembered. Um, yeah, red onions, a bit of buckwheat... Halloumi. It's real good. Screaming for a bit of burrata or balsamic or something. I uh, definitely. No, it was yum. I can't remember what else. It was a cuisine recipe. Emma Boyd, who does uh, recipes for the spin off now, actually. Yeah, it was a real good recipe. I'll link to it from our podcast. But I think a nectarine can be really nice in a salad. There's a. Um, you know, Americans love the peach and burrata, don't they? With rocket and um, balsamic. But um, And I am a fan of that, Simon. So don't know if you need to be rude to your grandmother. She's yeah. very rude to me. Every time I show up at her house, she tells me I've gained more weight. Oh. Yeah. Has she, she seen you lately? Oh, she has. She's actually really proud of me. Simon's <laughs> recently taken part in a shred. It's gone well. That's um, why I'm loving this kale salad by Des Harris, actually. <laughs> something we always have at our house, which is... Um, I don't remember how long ago it started, but there's a Julie Leclerc recipe for pumpkin scones. And... I think it comes under the general ambit of what are we going to do with the ham? And so it's mini scones and they've got pumpkin in them. They are absolutely delicious. And you serve them with cream cheese, leftover Christmas ham, and some cranberry sauce and some rocket. And it's an absolute treat. That sounds amazing. But do you know that Simon Day hates scones? Which when I learned that, I was like... I don't know if we can be friends. Scone is like the food version of a basic bitch. Disagree. Strong disagree. I think scones have a place. I yeah. Love a good scone. Um, does, does anyone else have white bait at Christmas? Yep. Yeah, I wasn't sure that was unique. Not but every we, year, but... Is white bait on the menu this year? It's become a problematic food. I've ordered some white bait this year, controversially, Simon. Where from? Well, it might be the black market. I'm just kidding. No, it was it was messaged to me by a family friend who um, does a sort of annual stock up, and we all go. Look, I didn't ask 
ask any questions, but I just really love white bait. Ignorance is bliss, eh, Gilly? <laughs> yes, Simon. Don't ask him that question. Tom Adams was a black market white bait yeah, earlier. He, he was. Really? That's where oh I used God. to get mine. <laughs> <laughs> I think we just snitched on him. No, no, no. He, <laughs> he, he, he lives in Melbourne now, so it's fine. There is a. He lives in um, Melbourne cops. Sustainably <laughs> produced farmed white bait supplier now called Monarchy. I don't know if it, I think it might just still be wholesale supplying to restaurants, but that's totally sustainable because it's all farmed, interestingly. Simon put this on his Facebook page and I think that um, one of the things we should discuss is whether turkey is worthwhile. Turkey is not worthwhile. You're anti-turkey? Turkey is a waste of time. It's it's dry and bland and... Turkey is the scone of the meat world. Yes. I, yeah, I can't get it. I can't get in behind turkey. I, I thought about this and I... Look, my, at one point we did a deboned, stuffed, rolled turkey, but is that even still a turkey? Yeah, you got to brine it and smoke it, then it's good. Yeah, so we used to, when we had Bird on a Wire, we had um, a free-range turkey supplier and we would do them for people at Christmas. So it came in and I'm, you know, feeling a bit stoked on what we might be able to create if we brine it and then rotisserie it for two hours. We did that and drove it down proudly to the family Christmas Eve dinner in Hamilton. And it was the boniest. It must have been a goose. It was the most revolting <laughs> thing I've ever served. I was sort of trying to rescue it, but you can't really do anything. Like if I could have injected it with any flavor, texture or moisture, I would have. But it was What I hate about hopeless. turkey is how the brown meat is gray. Like it's, it's just... It's a, all wrong. It's like a weird colour. Let those beautiful birds just gobble, gobble, gobble all around. You know, yeah. don't kill them. Oh, yeah, you're they talking do about look awesome. wild turkeys. Shit, else, man. Farm turkey's fine. You got to brine it, smoke it, and then slice it, and then soak the slices in just butter. Just the answer is ham. Yeah, so is, is ham, the juice man. worth the squeeze? Yeah. The answer to turkey is ham. <laughs> you, you, you turn it into ham, yeah. The problem with ham, though, is that I remember um, when we did the big family Christmas where there'd be three families and, you know, four grown men, that the the ham would last a couple of days. But unless you have the whole squad together, you get into a situation where you never, you literally need to wait until Christmas next year to look at a ham. And I remember being small, you know, when you walk into the kitchen and you're saying you're hungry and what's for dinner. I remember my mum saying, whatever the question is, the answer is ham. <laughs> but do you look at a ham again until Christmas? I don't. So it's no. fine. So that's why I, like, I'll get up on the morning of the 27th and stumble to the fridge of my boxes and open the fridge and just grab a piece of ham and put some hot mustard on it and that's my breakfast. Is your ham in a handbag, Simon? My ham is in a handbag. We'll talk more about handbags later. <laughs> do, you, do you lads have any unique Christmas food or drinks? Well, I, I guess a uh, tradition for, for us is always some, some smoked salmon on the table. We, I grew up in Canterbury and spent you know, endless summers salmon fishing and never even saw a salmon, but you've got good salmon farms pretty close by. I dropped a 30-pounder. Yeah? In Canterbury. In Canterbury. Wow. Impressive. Um, I didn't catch it, I dropped it. So Christmas Eve is always memories of, uh, of my father, like uh, brining smoked salmon with half a bottle of scotch and, mm. and brown sugar, obviously. That's and, good um, behaviour. Yeah, and then finishing the bottle of scotch and then um, smoking the salmon the next day. So yeah, we it did salmon kiwi. last year. 
We did a full seafood Christmas last year, and a nice side of salmon looks very festive. Yes, I on did the one with breadcrumbs and pomegranates and herbs all over it. It was in mm. harissa. It was really delicious. Yeah, I love the idea of a kaimoana Christmas because it's weird how we, you know, eat all this heavy wintry food because it's not. You know, we're we're sitting here right now, blessed with a beautiful summer's day. It's the British root, Absolutely. isn't it? Yeah, that's yeah. changing though, right? It or is. not a Nelson. <laughs> mm, yeah. Well, yeah, and have a Maori Santa. Yeah, <laughs> we're going to talk about that. We no, we don't have to. I think, that <laughs> I think we've talked about it. I think that New Zealand has talked about yeah. the Santa and the Koruai enough. Yeah. I think there's so many interesting um, family traditions around Christmas that it isn't fair to say that we're a nation of people that do the same thing at Christmas time. So I put it on my Facebook status and. Someone's got Jesus-shaped bread. Whoa. There's congee, cheese fondue. There's something Finnish here, which is lentulatico, which I'm not even going to try and pronounce. Sophie didn't do her research. I don't, I don't, um, yeah, look, Finnish is well beyond me. <laughs> um, blanched almonds and muscatel raisins, which I thought was quite an awesome flash scroggin mix. Um, there's all sorts of things like panettone. We love that in my family for breakfast with mm. jam, but some people think it's really disgusting. Panettone is nice, but it's I don't understand why it's so expensive. It's like you get a fancy box with some dry bread, and it's like ninety dollars. Don't get me wrong; I'll eat it if someone like buys, buys it, it for you. Yeah. How weird. far down the list is nectarine and red onion salad? <laughs> yeah, look, it's it's not on the list here. Um, what Simon, about drinking? There's a, there's a terrine in your family. It's an Australian terrine. Um, Chan it's much Sarawat. Better than, much better than Libby thinks it is. Chan Sarawat says that duck, not turkey, if we're around for Christmas. Oh, yeah. Yeah. There's this um, guinea fowl on the loose near where my parents live on Waiheke. And it's, we call it the honker because it just goes honk, honk, honk. And every year at Christmas, I'm like, when are you going to kill that guinea fowl? How big is a it? guinea fowl? It's big. Like, you see it, it's a big thing. It escaped from somewhere, yeah. I'll eat it. One year we'll eat, well I won't eat it, that's the thing. But, but no, would you eat a wild, you know, hunted guinea fowl? No, you know this, my Her vegetarian, nothing to do it's with, nothing to do with I the idea taste. of eating an animal, I just don't like it. Would you eat blood? Like <laughs> I black do, pudding regularly. or something like that? I drink it. <laughs> I don't, no, I just don't like Cause that's like aversion. Barley, it's like bread. I did actually try, when I did my year of trying to not be to eat meat I tried black pudding at O'Connell Street Bistro and it did yeah it didn't really taste like much I thought it was kind of fine yeah neither here nor there yeah drinking is obviously a big part of Christmas as well and my favorite um crowdsourced submission was Sam Brooks's champagne martinis about 4 p.m after um a long day the family uh moves to mixing champagne gin and vodka together and that um helps them stay awake keeps them rolling throughout the rest of christmas i Day. really rate that that is just such good family behavior i, I mean like, yeah imagine what happens afterwards it could be chaos he said it as if like oh at 4 p.m we have champagne champagne martinis and i was like oh like, my. you know that's not a thing eh? <laughs> i was like hey that's not a thing b oh my family starts drinking well before that and he was like oh no no we start drinking well before that we just switch they're preparing for the 6pm martinis. arguments. <laughs> my my favourite uh, tradition that I've been told about, it's actually not food or drink related, 
although it probably ends up being that way, is um, after the day is sort of wrapped up and all the uh, all the wrapping paper has been put in the recycling bin, uh, the whole family passes around a joint and watches as much of the Lord of the Rings series <laughs> as possible. Oh my god! <laughs> wow. That just get me so paranoid now. Yeah. So I'm pleased not down with nothing that. to do with awesome. that. Our one is uh, we have bacon and, and cheese on toast, like toasted croissants, oh, and nice. then for breakfast, and then champagne at the same time. And that, that's what we do all the time. But, um, I think we started that about 16 years ago. I can remember having champagne for breakfast was like pretty fucked up. Well, that's what you I drank said. all day. That's I what I said on the um, <laughs> Simon's question was, what is unique at Christmas? I was like, is it unique to give children champagne? Because in our house, when the kids always wake up first, when the parents would come out and they would have a their robe, they'd be still in a robe. I remember champagne was the first thing that went around and... I mean, unless my memory's wrong, I'm sure I was drinking champagne from then. Oh, we had shandies. I can remember that. I can remember sitting underneath the Christmas tree on Christmas Eve and being allowed to have a shandy. That was mm. pretty fucking cool. As a brewer, do you have an opinion on shandies? Yeah, I go for it. Yeah, buy my beer and put lemonade in it. Give me the money. Yeah. <laughs> I <don't care. laughs> Go hard. <laughs> nah, that's pretty pretty chaos. But no, that's great. Like, you know. He also drinks have... pink Sauvignon Blanc, yeah. remember? <laughs> yeah, if you, you know, like, you can appreciate... Um, if you can't drink a 9% double IPA on it, saying, um, put some lemonade in it and drink it. It's pretty good. Okay. That's actually a good tip for me. I'm not a hardcore hoppy beer drinker, so I might shandy it up and get back to you. Just do that. Use the driest lemonade you can find, though. Mm, too sweet's not too good. Sweet. Well, my dad used to do the classic dry the Schweppes one, but it's still quite sweet, isn't it? Oh, I don't know. Yeah, well, I mean, that's, I'd recommend that one. But Okay. Yeah. You can do like Soda Stream and just use a little bit less concentrate or something mm. like that. I was really lucky to spend uh, Christmas in Denmark, and their Christmas feast is unrivaled, in my opinion. I've never experienced anything more impressive, just out of my, to get rid of the complexity, out of my uncle's, we'll call it my uncle, out of my uncle's kitchen, he made this uh, probably seven-course degustation. We started with pickled herring on rye bread. Pickled herring is called sill. And I really like that the Danes will see a hot lady and be like, oh, she's a silk. <laughs> they are <laughs> um, pickled herring. They love they pickled herring so much that it's become herring. a metaphor for <laughs> a beautiful awesome. woman. Um, after the pickled herring, we have pate and then fricadels, the really delicious uh, Danish sausages, into the most delicious uh, roast duck breast with um, that crispy skin. They have these amazing caramelized potatoes. My job, because it becomes this family effort, everyone is doing a different thing. My job was to sit with these tiny little baby potatoes. They're really dirty and wash them and then peel them with a knife. I wasn't even allowed a peeler. It took a long time, but it was worth it. And then they um, they boil them and then roll them around in, the, in melted brown sugar, which was delicious. And then braised cabbage. And my favorite part of, it, of the whole uh, meal was the Reese a la monde, which is a cold yeah. rice pudding. And it's served with this delicious, fresh cranberry sauce. And what's really funny is they put one whole blanched almond in the rice pudding. And if that comes into your dish, you have to hide that almond in your mouth and you're not allowed uh, to reveal that you've found it until the end of dessert. And at the end, you pull it out and yeah, it's me. 
and you get a present <coughs> and you also get good luck for the rest <coughs> of that year except for um my wife's cousin marcus his uncle edmund he found the almond and then he died later that year. So, uh, <laughs> oh my gosh, I thought you were going to say he choked on the almond no, and no, died. No, no, he just right. didn't get good luck. He didn't choke on the almond. He just right. did not have... Yeah, uh, so it doesn't work. The luck thing good luck. doesn't work. So, so do everything you can to have a Christmas in Denmark. It sounds yeah. like they're putting the coin in the Christmas pudding. Yeah. I, you I know, think similar. Too. But better. Less dangerous. Yeah, de- because my grandma used to do that. And I was always like, oh, this is so, you know, coins are so dirty. Like, is there anything dirtier? Has more people touched anything than a coin? Simon oh, and I'd I still have. still be stoked if I got it. Um, Simon and I have both unhelpfully got law degrees, but both did the. Um, did an exchange to the University of Copenhagen. And I remember being there at Christmas time too. And the Tivoli Gardens there. It's like being in an actual magical wonderland at Christmas time. It's snowing, there's Ferris wheels. The Danes just do everything so perfectly because they're so perfect. And um, yeah, and beautiful and stylish. The most attractive people I've ever seen in Copenhagen. Mind blowing. Exactly. So what I loved about um, moving to Denmark as a sort of a short, hairy, slightly brown skinned fella. I was really exotic. They were used to these six foot four blonde stylish guys and they're like, damn boy, like, you hot. And it was the only place in the world where I was delicious. Oh, that's nice. Did well, you have sustroming over there? What's that? It's pickled herring that's gone rotten. No. Oh. Like the tins start to like blow up like a balloon and they know that it's ready to go because like you hit it with a knife or something it just fucking explodes pretty much oh yuck yeah man they are so into that you should youtube that shit is the people go there and bring sustaining back to americans and they youtube it yeah <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. It's so fucking funny yeah it sounds like a whale burst thing or something link to oh, that in yeah. the show notes yeah <laughs> oh, no. um go america um on the on the Christmas drink front. Have we got any eggnog fans? I've never had eggnog. It sounds disgusting. It's too My Canadian cousin made it a few years ago and I was like, ooh, what is this? Ooh, raw eggs. And I tried it and was like, holy shit. Tell me what eggnog is. It just kind of tastes like a milkshake but boozy to me. (laughs) Kind of like a lightly spiced... uh, Fuck, I can't remember. I think you do serve it kind of warm. So I share an office with someone that got a package last week that had um, free-range eggs and Lewis Rose, all of the things. And anyway, I said to her what was in it, and she said milk, cream, egg yolks, sugar, cloves, cinnamon, nutmeg, and vanilla. And then she said, I don't even like eggs, but I will fuck with eggnog any day. Mm. What alcohol is in eggnog? Rum is a must, is the other thing she said. Yeah, I am with her on that. Like, you think, oh, gross, and then you drink it, and you're like, yes. Those ingredients definitely sounded like they needed to be warmed up. I think it is warm. Alas, I'm going having Christmas with that same cousin's wife who's Canadian. We can't have the egg yolk scrambling, though, can we? So not no, too warm, please. it's not, yeah... It was Ooh, good anyway. Scrambled really egg uh, rum drink would be so yuck. It doesn't taste eggy, it just tastes boozy and spicy. That's always what you imagine your mm. like stomach to be like after <laughs> a breakfast hungover. Hungover breakfast? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. We try and make a um, like a cream cream liqueur out of Scotch whiskey on Christmas oh. and try and drink the whole lot. So How do you make that? Um, uh, it's basically sweetened condensed milk and, and it's... Um, 
I love sweetened condensed milk in anything. Yeah, and and and, and scotch booze. whiskey. It sounds like a dream. Yeah, there's a couple of other things like a little bit of whatever, but I mean, the, 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 we've got this probably about a 50 year old recipe from one of my dad's aunties, so we we try and do that. Sounds That's, amazing. It gets you drunk so fast. I mean, not, not that you need it when you're drinking champagne at eight o'clock in the morning, but just yeah, in you case, know, you just want to hit the accelerator pedal and. Yep. It's interesting though. I never get drunk at Christmas. No. I drink a lot, but I sort of hold of it eating, together right? and grazing. You kind of graze mm. like a like mm. a farm animal all day, don't you? But it's just, yeah. it just I can't seem to. You have to hold it together for the That's kids. That's why man. people nod off no, in the I afternoon. I am the child still. <laughs> There's nothing better than a yeah a Christmas afternoon nap, in my opinion. Wow, there are petals of wine and beer arriving. So this what is a fun. beer. You can just bring it all in. Yeah, we'll make room. It's a, sh- it's a shambles. We're happy to um, be Beautiful interrupted chaos. by beer and wine. Um, Do you want to take these chips? Ooh, well done. Awesome. So this is a beer and wine match, right? Great versus or great. A, or a journey. A journey. There's a lot of journeys going on in food at the moment. I love it. I'm into this. So... Oh, they're numbered. I was going to say, I presume you go from left to right. Um, well, I think this is um, this is the great versus grain match. So it's about uh, sampling the the different foods that come with the platters and um, and taking your pick as to what you think works best. Oh, that's fun. So you're supposed to taste the food that you're given with each of the four Thank beverages you. and decide whether you prefer. Absolutely. It's recreating the standoff that you two had. Yeah. yeah. Is there but, a I mean, voting? They do, yeah, there is a voting thing, and they, they do this challenge at a winery where people come to drink wine, so, I mean, there's just no way that we've got a chance to win anything. Well, you said that. that last time, though, didn't you, Joe? But I did spend $2,000 well, on drink some beers, buying all my so. friends' tickets and stuff. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, I'm really looking forward to it. Pete, would you like yeah. to run us through the... I've got wine on my left side. I'll definitely have some more kale salad later. So starting with number one, we've got a Pinot Noir Rosé from Marlborough, from the Hunting Lodge. So the Hunting Lodge has some vines in Marlborough as well? We don't have our own vines, we um, we contract contract fruit. From anywhere else? Uh, From all regions, we've got a bit of a diverse portfolio I guess. We've taken quite a seasonal approach to to wine, which is trying to... um, much to the uh, dismay of our head salesperson, Andrew, um, who's trying to get some consistency with our brand. We, um, we mix it up a little bit and we, you know, we try new things and some things work, some things don't so much. But it seems that the, the range has grown more and more. But um, I think variation and excitement yeah, and is in. It, exactly, and it's all about taking the best fruit from the regions that they do well in rather than trying to persevere with... Uh, a particular variety in a region that might be too challenging. That's quite dry. The rosé? Yeah. yeah. It's really it is not dry. what I was expecting. I, they're normally a bit punchier when you say Pinot Rosé. That's almost like a European style to me. Yeah, and that's that's what we've uh, that's what we've attempted to do with our you know, New Zealanders' palettes for rosé have definitely changed. So I think the sort of more pale, drier, um, subtle kind of European styles. Um, much more yum much more popular more in vogue and um and let's face it it's way more food friendly as well i just cleaned all those loaded fries off my mouth you know it's there you go yeah 
It's a lean, mean rosé machine. That is that's a um, that is a really delicious drop, Pete. I, that's that could be with or without food. Do you know that Pete is like like he holds the highest regard in the winemaking industry as like the rosé guy? Really? Oh, really? Yeah. I he wonder his what his rosé. I'm um, I'm saying it like I'm surprised. You're welcome, brother. <laughs> thank, thank you very much. Not something I went uh, searching for, but. Uh... <laughs> What you can't see right now is Joe and Pete have their hand on each other's thighs. <laughs> see, they, just they, a, a sip of rosé and Joe's anyone's. Yeah. <laughs> wow, that was so delicious. You would drink again. Absolutely will be Me too, again. just in case you think I'm only a beer drinker. No, that's a delightful dry rosé. Provençal-esque, one might say. Nice, Maybe. Alice. Yes, go know. for it. And do we continue down the road? Let's let's do that. The journey. So the second wine is our home block Sauvignon Blanc. Oh, yeah. So from oh. the uh, from the vine. So we've got just uh, just in front of us. There's um, some of the original. We've got three rows of the original Sauvignon Blanc vines, 40 years old, planted uh, planted in the late 60s. And uh, first harvest, I think, for the Spence brothers of those vines was uh, 74. And uh, so, as I mentioned earlier, this is we've done. We've tried to do something different with this because in Auckland, with the clay soils and the humidity, we're, we're never going to match the intensity um, and punch that you get from Marlborough Savvy. So, uh, we've fermented this in barrels using natural yeast, which we hope come from the vineyard. They could come from anywhere. We don't really know. It comes from the honeybees. And uh, and then we just—it's pretty much hands off after that. We just let it do its own thing. We don't uh, we don't uh, feed any nutrients to the ferments. We don't control the temperature. So it's a it's a pure expression of terroir uh, from the vineyard, but also from the winery as well. Is it a natural wine? It's definitely not a natural wine. <laughs> where, I'm, uh, where, where, I'm not a. Where does the I'm wine? Why have I not seen? Um, Let's not do this today. Where do you buy your <laughs> wine? <today. laughs> where can I buy your wine? Right you can, here. You can buy our wines uh, on, online at thehuntinglodge.com, and you can buy our wines through the cellar door and um, and select retailers at the moment. Do you know but, what this tastes like to me? It's kind of like the Sauvignon Blanc version of Hawke's Bay Chardonnay. Like it's creamy and soft and delicious, but it has so much depth of flavour and it's not very astringent. And that's what we wow, that's so what we picture it as uh, as Sauvignon Blanc for Chardonnay drinkers, yeah. really. And it works. It's that slightly funky thing, right, from the barrel ferment. Absolutely. So there's yeah. you know there's a there's a healthy it smells like hay, doesn't it, mm. in a way? A healthy dose of oak there. I think it's still in balance but um you've also got some yeah, it's not buttery it's just a no, little bit and you've got some you've got a got a few sulfides some of the um which can be sort of a negative character like from from fermentation at mcdonald's got, for breakfast <laughs> i love that stuff it's quite flinty like when you when you when you light a lighter mm. and you smell the yeah. stone and the spark yeah without the lighter actually going off there's a lot of that. It's like a new cool. wave shard, but a sad. And very cool that it's a tribute to the history of the the, the land as well. Absolutely, yeah. So we um, we've got about two hectares in Sauvignon Blanc here, which we will be keeping um, to honour that tradition, and uh, it's always going to hold a special place for us. But at the same time, we know that Auckland is uh, is really Chardonnay country. So you've kind of guessed now that we're trying to. I'm trying to make everyone Chardonnay, <laughs> but. Uh, <laughs> Well, I thought it was when I was, um, you know, still working front of house in restaurants, which wasn't very long ago, Auckland had gone full Pinot Noir, Pinot Gris. 
Oh, man, Pinot Gris, are we back so, on yeah. Chardonnay now? We're back on Chardonnay, but I'm talking particularly from Auckland as a region. Um, right. So, so the producers. best, the best thing to grow. You know, we're surrounded by the, you know, some of the best Chardonnay producers in the country here. Um, all our neighbours um, produce great Chardonnays from, and you know, there's something about the um, the clay soils. You just get a really nice um, phenolic structure to Chardonnay, and it's something that it ripens early. It, it can handle the Auckland climate, and you get some some, great, some really nice stone fruit wines. character in there. I like. I just feel peachy. like drinking like Chardonnay a nectarine and red onion salad. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's <laughs> what I'm getting from the seven year old. Nectarine, definitely nectarine. White peach that kind of thing like a, a soft acidic maybe if I served Onion this with dip. my grandma's salad it would help the salad I think the problem yeah. with your grandma's salad is you Simon it's the problem with a lot of things in my life <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like there's some you know there's some great acidity in that wine that'll um, you know like just slice through a, a lot great of the food, food on yeah. the menu here and yeah, um, yeah. Wow, Yum. your wine is really delicious. Thank you. Got a lot to live up to now, my mm. bro. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, there's, there's, yeah. So yeah. we're not going to be humble or modest. Sing us, wax us some lyrical about beer. The number three. Number three one is uh, it's our pilsner, and we use a lot of hops in it. It's uh, Rewalker and Nelson Sauvin, so you get a, lot yeah, of, a huge nose. It's rather large. Um, Drinking it in the sun, you sort of get some of these um, hop compounds break down a little bit and it smells kind of like cannabis, like real skunky. Mm. I reckon a, f- <clears throat> a freshly opened Heineken smells exactly like a 50 bag. Yep. So that's that's <laughs> that's exactly, so it's it's um, uh, isoalpha acid gets gets broken down into different types of compounds, and oh, including I hate to that. use the word at this moment, but it is very buzzy how much this smells like buds. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and, and ironically, if you're sitting inside, um, this is what I always say when you're drinking outside in the sun, you should be drinking out of the bottle or the can. As soon as you pour it into a glass, um, like it only takes a matter of minutes. That's interesting, because a lot of um, people so say you should never, never drink out of the bottle or the can, right? They do say that, but then they're mm. just being a little bit pretentious. I yeah. think um, you can you can still smell it if, if 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 you really have to swirl the glass and search for it. Then there's not enough hops in there, mm, in my true. opinion. Like you can crack the bottle off like the top of a bottle. It should just be pretty much jumping out at you straight away. So are you saying it's the impact of the vitamin D or the sunshine or what is what's making it ultraviolet light? Right, awesome. It breaks down the yeah. It breaks it down. It's so interesting, you describe that as a very hoppy beer, but it's so clean and easy to drink and it's not bitter and... Yeah, it's all about balance. It's um, very balanced. This is how we it's operate. It's like a gymnast. A lot of people, are, you know, if you, there's these... There's Simon's these, obviously looking for a beer writing gig. Anthropomorphize it's like a gymnast. anything in this, in this job. It's great, you got to get that on your back label. And you can't taste that either, the riboflavins. I'll write your back It's like... It's no, um, Mercaptan. Mercaptan is the is the character. They actually use methyl percaptan, which is similar to Mercaptan, to give um, LPG or natural gas an odour, so that you know when the bottle's leaking. And it's the same compound that's forming in the glass as as you're sitting there. You feel I a also, little bit of that in the savvy as well. Yeah. Yeah, and I think also you're probably more um, sensitive to it or accustomed to the difference than the rest of us. To me, it just smells delicious and tastes great. Oh yeah. I mean, I've got I've got that problem. We always want to sort of. Um, rip, rip things to shreds and mm. that, that sort of stuff. But yeah, so I think the, the world halo, of my own right? work. To be honest, this is the halo. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. we know you do, Simon. So, um, what would you be eating with that pilsner at Christmas, Joe? Um, I mean, I don't generally don't drink much 
Pilsner during Christmas time. I'm sort of a lager guy, but if you do like drinking that at Christmas, I suppose then um, contrast rather than compliment would be a good one to go for. I mean, you, you think about the fruity characters in there and maybe you just want to play off um, some, some something sweet. Um, yeah. Not, not, not necessarily dessert, but maybe, you know, like a you know pork shoulder or, yeah, like, yeah, pig on the spit would be really good, that greasy, sweet yeah. fat, and then cut it in half with Hungy. the... Yeah, anything like that. My family-in-law had a um, Christmas hangi a few years ago, and that would go so well, standing around, waiting for it to finish, and then getting into that fatty pork. Yeah. Oh, damn, I'm so down with fat. You can see. Look at it. Look at it. Fat is flavour, my friend. They say that's from beer. That's from all the, that's from all the fatty yeah. foods that I eat all the time. That was your hard work. It's no fat shaming on this Mate, podcast. You. you look yeah. gorgeous. <laughs> if I had worked so hard, I'd, I'd, yeah, it'd be a different situation, I think. Um, but why is it that the beer world shames lager and then here's you and I drinking lager as a good out question. Of choice? Good question. Um, I think it's just a, it's like the it's Sauvignon Blanc, right? Snobbery. The, uh, it's, it's, it's not, it's marketing. It's, it's not snobbery at all, I don't think. It's, it's these guys got to have a marketing edge. You know, you're making hoppy beer, you've got to give yourself a point of difference because, like, the most drunk beer in New Zealand is Heineken. It's, it commands, like, more than double its next competitor. That's like the equivalent sales. of putting other people down to make yourself feel better. That's exactly right. And I mean, the best beer that we make is our lager, in my opinion, because I can drink it. I can what drink is your it all lager called? Divine Wind. Yeah, see, I never, I feel like I'm massive Liberty fangirl. Mm. Yet, you are. would I ever get the Divine Wind? No. Probably because I'm a snob. You don't need no, to be. No, you've been conditioned by the marketing. Yeah. But I mean, if I'm, I was to drink I any the of the Halo. beers, I'd drink the lager because I'm a lager drinker. Yeah. yeah. I mean, by buying uh, a lager made, that t- if it tastes just like lager to you, that's great. We've we've achieved our goal. And your 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 your, your choice to buy that instead of Heineken or whatever—it's an ethical thing. Like these multinational companies are taking your money offshore, and, and and so you're choosing to spend your money on something that's produced locally, and, and you're supporting a local business. So yeah, I like that. And that's if that's where the mass market are, good on you for just sticking to your guns and making a. Really delicious lager. It's all we mm. make. It's all I drink. <laughs> I made it for me. And a lager is very hard to make, right? Um, Harder than they can be. I mean, but yeah. you know, realistically, if you if you can't make beer, then you shouldn't be yeah. making beer. But like as a home brewer, you not yeah, advised to attempt lager. Right? It's just the temperature control. Yeah. So lagers ferment at lower temperatures, mm. and, and if you try to make one at twenty five degrees Celsius, it's just not going to work. Yeah, it's going to smell like um, Pete's natural Sauvignon Blanc. Or that's, farty. That's yep. still to come. Which has its place. Um, they do, so, absolutely. Mm. I've never told Joe this, but I feel like it, I can um, out it on the podcast, is that um, I live on Waiheke, and uh, amongst my mates there, who, a lot of whom are in the wine industry, um, our beer of choice is Steinlager Classic. Oh, wow. It's a great choice. It's better than pure. Yeah. Isn't pure that, is yeah. that's famously a headache in a bottle. Yeah. They say uh, that it's a recipe. No, 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 no. Okay. no. It's a myth. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to debunk that myth Busted. right here. So, um, in the 80s, when Steinlager was actually originally brewed, it's not as old as what they say it is, the most popular drinks were the 4% drafts, like Lion Red and that kind of thing. So, people were conditioned to drinking however many bottles of draft beer that they were conditioned to drinking. So, if you were an 18-pack guy, then you'd drink 18. Or if you're a 12-pack guy, you'd drink 12, and that's that. You, You always finish your box. Right, then Steinlager comes around and it's 5% alcohol, not 4 
So ah. then you're conditioned to drinking 12 bottles, you drink 12 bottles of 5%. You've, you've just consumed an extra, you know, 2.4 2 standard drinks. Yes. And then you so, wake up in the morning feeling like shit as a result. So is that how I transitioned to wine is from flame? <laughs> that was the next step. <laughs> <laughs> I should be sitting here like backing up and like giving Lion Breweries like massive credit, but fuck it. At the end of the day, it's a great beer and it's an iconic New Zealand beer. Yeah, mm. true. Want be a medal to win, 86. Are you speaking about flame or Steinlager? Steinlager. I'm lost. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, oh please, we're not allowed to talk like about flame. Than, um... <laughs> it gives me uh, repressed memories oh. coming out. All right, Joe, beer number four. Uh, this is our famous Yakima Monster. Oh, yes. Which is a um, <laughs> One of my oh, Yakima Monster, I should say. Um, yeah, it's just, it's a American-style pale ale, and um, we use British malt in there. If, if American breweries could afford... No, they can afford it, but if they chose... It's, it's funny because in the States, they'll use British malt a lot of the time unless they're mass producing and then they'll use like domestically produced stuff. But given the choice, because British malt's got so much, so much more texture and flavour, they would go with that. So this uses British malt and their American, American hops, Simcoe and Amarillo. It's a pretty basic beer, but it's hugely popular. It's been a, um, yeah, home run. It's been life-changing for me. Now it's available in cans because <laughs> previously it was only available in 500 mils, but sometimes you just want one, you know, for I'm, weeknight I'm, coffee. I've never seen you drink just one beer, Ella. <laughs> yeah, but you're not in my house and on oh, a Tuesday true. night. So do you drink one beer each night? I try to have some AFDs, which stands for alcohol-free days. Yeah, I'm familiar. Sometimes I don't. Right. I but quite often I will drink one beer, yes. <laughs> Monday's That's what I like. AFD. How a lot of people drink glass one. I drink a beer. Yeah, right. Yes. So this one hasn't skunked as much as the um, as no. how much the, as the as the what the halo did, and a lot of a lot of that has to do with the colour of the beer. So the darker it gets, the more amber it gets. Tell less me. ultraviolet light can be absorbed into it. Tell me about skunked as a verb. Skunked as a, ver a verb. So skunk. <laughs> what does is, it mean? Skunk is the smell. It's like farming, isn't it? Oh, so it hasn't, no. it hasn't developed that huge scent. Uh, not, not yet. It will eventually get there, but at the moment, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty fine. So Smells skunk delicious. is, it's, it's, it's like I said, it's that, it's that um, McCaptain smell. Um, some call it bo. Um, some say it's cat piss. Um, to me, it just smells like skunk repel. Like, like if, if you've ever smelt a skunk repellent it smells exactly like that it's, it's fucking really horrible. oh so it's literal literal mm. yeah skunked saying the beer has become skunked it smells like an animal skunk sometimes it to me to or me cannabis. this is delicious but there's another local beer that to me smells like wet bar rags yeah and that's super Name skunky but it's just not it makes me not want to drink it so wet bar rags is a type of oxidation i think it's 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 where it's or wet cardboard um, and Badly that, dried clothes on a scarfy uh, washing oh, rack. No. <laughs> I mean, the best the best opportunity to drink beer is is when it's on tap somewhere because yeah. it's 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 generally not going to be any fresher than that. If you can't, if you're not accustomed to going out and drinking out, um, then you got to kind of check the best before date on it. And if it's coming up close to the end of its best before, then it's it's probably not going to be that good. And um, it's just a natural thing that happens, like especially with breweries who don't pasteurise their beer. Um, there's a lot of um, bacteria that, that remain in the product that generally won't degrade it, but if the bacterial counts are too high, it'll it'll become sour or something along those lines. Um, 
I think that's a really good tip. Um, I tend to always ask what's on tap when I'm in a restaurant, and I don't understand why high-end restaurants are moving away from tap beer, it would seem. There's probably been three that I've been to lately. Is there cool drawings on cans? They say I've got nothing on tap. I'm like, why on earth do you not have a tap beer? How Hmm. logistically painful is putting in a keg and some lines in a tap? Um, it's it's logistically easy. It's it's cost prohibitive. Yeah, it's expensive. Um, so places who do sell beer by the you know by the tap, um, they do, they're, you know they're obviously doing the best. But more often than not, it's the brewery that pays for it. So the breweries, the lo- the most um, well-off breweries or lucrative breweries are going to be able to put taps in places. So you're generally just going to see like. Steinlager or Heineken or something. Like shout out to Logan from Sawmill. If you're doing lots of guest taps taps. like you did at Bird on a Wire, yes. That is that your cost to beer? No, that was um, Sawmill Breweries. Oh, that's why Logan got the shout out. Yeah. Um, but interestingly, I the the reason I commented is that it's high end restaurants that I've been to lately that don't seem to have anything on tap. But Mm. here at the Hunting Lodge, they have eleven beers on tap. So get out here, guys. Yeah, I mean we don't we don't we don't pay, we don't put taps in places if we can avoid it. Like if they people really want the beer, then they want the beer. Um, Except if you can't afford the tap, when you were us, for example. Yeah, I mean, good. If the if the brewery's got the money to do it, then that's great. Or if it's part of their marketing strategy, then that's great. But you know, we've never had the money to do it. <laughs> yeah, I know. Everyone's sort of just squeezing each other so much, right? That's why Lion, you know, gets to take over whole bars because they say we're going to look after everything. We'll put. We'll it's not just in. the setup with them; it's it's yeah. the rebates and stuff like but, yeah, that. Yeah, you know? it's a huge, huge draw card for in new Australia. It's places, been places opening really frowned upon to be buying, buying in taps and buying your market space. Yeah. Um. In in America, it's illegal. It's anti-competitive. Mm. But and, here, it's just people, and people don't notice, especially yeah, these days. I think lots of people that have any clue do notice yeah. like I, I made a point of being independent um, in our restaurants and mm. I think that lots of people are making that I point. I definitely noticed that but It's I a hard market don't... though, like I don't frown on anyone for doing it it's, No, it's, it's, a, it's a straight financial decision, so mm. they come to you and they say we will pay for your bar set up and we will give you umbrellas and we will give you this and you look at the yeah. bank and you go well we don't have the money for that, mm. so you know there's a place for all of the things I guess. Yeah and then when their contract runs out, then guys like me come along and go, oh, I hear your contract's run out. Right. What are you going to do with those taps? And then, yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, look at our price list. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not a salesman, though. I can't do that sort of thing. Would you ever do a panhead or a tuatara and sell to one of the big boys? No, nah, I don't think it's necessary. Like, we set the business up as a, it's a family business. I mean, our kids want to work there. Oh, there's babe there. Hey, babe. Um, ah. You know, the kids have got aspirations of working in the brewery one day when they're only eight and nine. And uh, yeah, I know what's going to happen, but so long as we don't go broke for whatever reason because we're shit at business and that kind of thing, then there's no reason. I mean, it, it, not with a woman like that behind you. Yeah. <laughs> Come say hi, Christina, Christina. everybody. Hi, Christina, join join me. I'm I don't have a friend. Pull up a pull up a couch. The other half of Liberty Brewing has just arrived. Just randomly turned up in the middle because the husband was answering his phone. I was like, I know where he is. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad he didn't answer his phone in the middle. Well, you only rung once, for fuck's sakes. I just thought that you'd still be um, here drinking afterwards. So, yeah. 
Evidently. Nice. What is your role, Christina? She, what she, do I do? She's in do the brewery. She makes the brewery right look good. I make the brewery look good. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, there we go. I do a little bit of everything, actually. Yeah. So I um, am in, in and out of the office and chief taste tester <laughs> and um, help out on the line where I need to and yeah just kind of dribs and drabs of everything actually. So. We, don't, we don't have any automation so mm. if there's somebody needs to go and take a piss or something like that then it that takes four people to run the canning line and, <laughs> and damn those bloody to monster To really cans. simplify Christina's contribution. A little no, no, bit no, of everything. Yeah, Mostly some behind people the scenes. sick or something like that you know you need... You need a little bit of buff. Well, it's been a decadent podcast so far. We're well over time, which I don't mind seeing as it's Christmas. You know, you're in for the long haul. But we'll, we'll go into some of our regular segments. And the last supper is where we talk about uh, one of the great places that we've been and dined or drank recently. Sophie, you had the most profound experience out of all of us. How was it? And where was it? Profound. Wow. Um, you just I, sounded more excited. Yeah, well, look, I was really excited. I went before a concert in to 7, which used to be Seafarers, and um, it was more for its location, to be fair, and sat down with a gin and tonic and proceeded to, with three other people, get through pretty much the whole menu. And the food was really exceptional and really exciting and really delicious. So um, I thought they deserved to mention because that's a, a bit of a um, an underdog, I would have thought. There's not a lot of noise being made about that. What about you, Alice? Uh, I went to La Fuente, which is a new mezcal bar. And shit, it was so good. Did mezcal. you have any dreams afterwards? Well, no, but I always have. I had the weirdest dream last night, and that wasn't mezcal related. So, not that I recall. Um, but yeah, mezcal, delicious. The food was delicious. Very, very intric- intricately prepared sort of Mexican little plates, things like ceviche, but really um, jazzed up. Jazzed up. And yeah, mezcal, yum. And this charming Mexican man called Edmundo who will talk you through. Everything you're eating and drinking. How smoky is the mezcal? It's really variable. Like he gave us all these different ones to try, and some are like super smoky and deep, like a whisk, like a Scotch whiskey. Yeah, so some, that's, that's how. Yeah. that's my experience. I was kind of rubbing my hands together. I was in Mexico in June and July, and I was like, I'm going to hit it. Yeah. And everywhere they went, we went. They gave us this really quite. Um, I found mezcal really strong. To be fair, it's probably combined with a sensitive stomach because we got the old. Mexico bug but you know sitting in Puyo which is like I'm so excited because it was on chef's table and we did the taco instead of doing the sort of boring fine dining thing we sat up at the taco bar and did the eight course degustation and they did matching drinks most of which are mezcal because they are so extremely proud of the mezcal but Mm. it just really felt like really smoky and overwhelming a lot of the time for me. I reckon only one of the ones we had was super smoky the rest were there was yeah just a really interesting range of flavors I thought so I will be going back. Is that in Bridamart? It's in uh, Snickles Lane which is just a fort lane. What is mezcal? It's It's effectively the same thing as tequila but it's it's a different it's, agave plant it's made from? Uh, no, it's blue agave, but it's the production of it. So rather than it being, um, it's all done by little villages, little farmers yeah. and stuff like that. And their and their extraction technique for getting the sugar or converting the sugar in the blue agave, they, they, they rely on making effectively a hungy. Um, 
to do that and then when oh, they yeah, distill it about that. when they distill it they they do it over fire as well so cool. you get a lot of that character it did in sound there. very cool the whole process we I like how each culture's got its own fire water <laughs> yeah you got a yeah, yeah. we Half did a we did a beer versus fire. um mezcal over in melbourne oh, really? last year and Man, I had the most fucked up dreams that night, and oh, we, everybody else did. We we both did. It was so crazy. We it's woke up drug, in the morning and we're just like, "What nah, just that's happened absent. to us?" No, what someone was saying, drinks. Yeah, someone was saying to me, "It's a um, because it's natural. It's got a. It has an effect, an impact on your body that affects your mind to a degree." Hmm. Oh, yep, I believe that. 100% yeah, it that sounds was, like your experience. It was so gnarly. It was crazy. Really sexual as well, in, um, like. Don't All right, you two. Oh, no, no, it had nothing to do with Christina. <laughs> it wasn't there. We didn't actually dream about each, each other. Each other, no. <laughs> really? See, we had totally did we just finish each other's sentence then? <laughs> Probably. You guys lying next to each other having sex dreams about other, other people. people. <laughs> Blame the mezcal. That is cute as hell. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right, who else has been somewhere lately that they want to rave about? I want to give a shout out to Crate Kitchen. Um, really beautiful food truck. Uh, that I ate at for the first time in, at, at Faros, out at... Um, Tapapaganga Park. I find, for someone who loves Splore so much, I find it so hard to remember how to correctly pronounce the regional park's name. Uh, but the main reason is they do a really good job um, helping out Nick at Everybody Eats at um, Woodworks on Tuesday, Wednesday and Thursdays doing far more than their fair share of heavy lifting um the food that i got to take home after a shift that everybody eats this really beautiful chicken madras uh that was i loved how excited they were to not be working with mints yes Um, i feel the same way when i cook there how mad would feel after that week Exactly. Jordan Peterson would happily eat at uh, Everybody Eats. There's a lot of beef. Mints, he wouldn't be uh, welcome. Ooh, <laughs> <No>. ooh. <laughs> uh, but mad, mad love to Crack Kitchen and the love that they show for uh, Everybody Eats. Find out where they are mobile, mo- roaming, uh, mobile food truck, and, and get some very, very good food off them. Has everyone else been too busy in there? I... Uh, I actually foolishly, a group of us went along to the uh, Mezcal bar after an Auckland oh. winemaker's lunch, but we won't go there. Um, <laughs> but uh, on the weekend, I went to a relatively new place on Waiheke called 372. 372, yeah. awesome. Yeah. There. Loved it. You know, it's mm. kind of like uh, on the beach there, a little bit sort of a swanky uh, beach bar, but with a definite laid back Waiheke vibe. I'm going tomorrow night. It's awesome. Great service. Um, good wine list and some really cool shared foods yes that's it's awesome to Bronwyn hear from um Timotu, eh? correct yeah. yeah so and her food's really really good yeah so that's exciting no. yeah i heard that and awesome. i looked at the menu and it was the old ingredient comma ingredient comma yeah, ingredient and i was it? like oh yeah. god here we go is it going to be super fancy on waiheke but the nothing's fancy on waiheke yeah really. everyone has said that the food's beautiful mm. that's exciting yeah cool place well, I took Todd on a really long lunch a couple of weeks ago while we were cleaning the kettle. Who's Todd? Who's to the Todd? He's the guy who I stole off Pete. Oh, the, uh, the, the, he's, he's, the he's, R&D. Yeah, he's our brewer now. And um, anyway, we went to Peach's Hot Chicken. Fuck, that place is oh, off the yeah, I hear amazing man. stuff about that. Yeah. It's, I wasn't it's, invited. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's so sure. good. Yeah, I actually... It's really authentic, you know. It's really, um, I thought, interesting because... It's not just hot chicken for the sake of being hot. It's hot because it 
slows you down to enjoy it with the other things that you need to properly enjoy it. I just thought it was epic. I just get on a feeding frenzy on that. So like earlier this year, <laughs> we went over to Nashville to judge the World Bear Cup. Yeah. That, that it's actually a thing. There's a lot of really popular chick, hot chicken places. Mm. They don't call it Nashville hot chicken in Nashville though. It's just like You wouldn't, would you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, I've got a good video of my husband eating peaches. Hot chicken peaches, and his man. eyes are and watering tastes... and he's licking his lips. I'm like, don't lick your lips, rookie. <laughs> it tastes like the real deal. And the other thing is, don't go wheeze afterwards either. That's no, just a bad idea. Oh, yeah. I have a habit of checking that my bits are still there while I watch television. <laughs> and I've been um, cooking with a lot of chilli and uh, there are a lot of nerve endings in your testicles, I can tell you that. Thanks, Simon. That's really, really important I content. Curl- I was curled up in a ball on the couch. It was... Uh, <laughs> Are you the editor of the show, Simon? (laughs) Tina will be editing the show and I'll be demanding that she keeps all these bits in there because it's a human experience of cooking. I have a friend who, just to outgross you all and bring it back to the female, put in a tampon after chopping chilli. Not a good time, apparently. Wow. Alice, you just absolutely schooled Simon's revolting chat. I'm so Whoa. happy with that. I smashed the patriarchy. Yeah. Girl power. <laughs> Absolutely. I, I, I have heard a friend doing that as well. Yeah. Yeah. Back at you, Horrible. Simon. Yeah. Mm. Nicholas Loosley has a story, but I won't tell it on his <laughs> behalf. <laughs> I was just trying to keep it nice and tame for you girls, man. I mean, if you want to mm. if you want to go there, <laughs> yeah, we can go there. <laughs> we can go there. We've talked about chili tampons and <laughs> testicles. Take a lot of boxes. Next segment is the cook's corner, like right. to just really bring it back down to uh, focus and uh, straighten up. We offer a tip or two about uh, how to advance your skills in the kitchen, make your um, life easier, make your life better with food and drink. Um, so you guys are given you know, a very short warning to think about what you might have to offer. You're more than welcome to contribute as well, if you please. Are these Christmas tips? They don't have to be yeah. Christmas tips. Yours okay. aren't necessarily, although it works. Yours is a full year round, you know, you don't only eat bacon at Christmas. I've got a Christmas. Well, I actually think that, um, as we spoke about before, there is an enormous excess of ham at Christmas time. And an alternative to that is to buy from your butcher, order in advance, just ask for two kilos of loin bacon or streaky, or you can get the, um, they can, they can give you the whole lot. Yeah. Um, and... So it's got no bone in it, and you boil it until it falls off a skewer. So you just poke the skewer, and if it slips back off, then you're away. And you rub on it, as though you were glazing a ham, but this is just the top of the bacon, um, some brown sugar, like coarse brown sugar, and the juice of um, from a can of pineapple. Nice. And then you glaze it at 250 degrees in the oven, I swear to God, it would put every piece of ham you've ever had in your life to shame. It's like the fat melts as the sweet sugar caramelizes on it, and you can just slice it up and serve it straight away. Does anyone need a drink? Just well. Does it have the wow factor of a whole ham? I think if you if you slice it up and show off the um, the marvel of the fat that you've melted all the way through, then it absolutely speaks for itself. Yeah. Um, I would like to say another Christmas tip. I think that um, 
the pomegranate seed, which I recently found out is called a pomegranate arrow, is massively underrated. Just put it on whatever you want, and it looks really festive. Put it in your salads, put it on top of your meat, put it with dessert, um, and hey presto, it's Christmas. Alice will hate this. Excuse me, I have a mouthful of fries. But I have recently started buying packaged pre-removed pomegranate seeds yeah. I'm really sorry but I know lots it and is lots of plastic. it makes mm. you a bad person essentially uh. but I understand like it's because getting pomegranate pomegranate arrows out of the pomegranate is fucking I mean, it's fair a good time. it's quite fun if, I mean, if the you whole... have time it's fun like just yeah. putting your hand over and smacking it Jamie Oliver bish bosh <laughs> you know like the problem with pomegranates is <laughs> they're imported anyway unless that was Faro not Italian was, that was that was like Essex Jamie in it. Oh. Yeah, bish bosh. You can get um, New Zealand grown pomegranates in about March, I think, from Gisborne at Faro Fresh. But that's, you know, something for to about five minutes. To. But I agree that they make anything look bloody uh, festive. Convenience is everything, man, especially this time of year. Yeah. Um, any more tips, Soph? Um, I have a, a dessert hack which I almost mm. feel embarrassed to share because it's. You essentially don't do anything, but you look really awesome for doing it. So you put cream and sugar into a pan, and you melt the sugar into the cream so it boils. And then you just leave it boiling and bubbling away for a couple of minutes. Then when it stops, you pour about 50 to 100 mils of lemon juice into it. And then you pour that liquid into molds or little cups or saucers and put it in the fridge and it sets and it becomes this really rich but quite light lemon custard so you can serve it with like a dollop of whipped cream and why not throw a pomegranate arrow on the top and um fuck the planet you know just yeah double cream no, you get, love it yeah yeah <laughs> it actually is cream with cream on top but um look i'm not here for my diet tips merry christmas everyone what's it called Lemon posset. You can look up Nigel Slater's recipe online, actually. It's that the oldie English. That's where thing. I found it. Hmm. Very good. Simon thought it was pronounced pousse, like the character from Orange is the New Black, which I liked. I'm um, fancy. I speak He's French. fancy, yeah. My tip is kind of a lame one, but I'll say it. It's important. Yeah, at the moment, this time of year, I'm... Um, thank you. I've just been brought a Yakima monster, which is nice. Uh, I've been using a lot of the seasonal green vegetables such as asparagus and fresh peas and I get a lot of um you know the the offcuts the stuff you you're not using such as the pea pods and the little woody ends of the asparagus don't throw them away don't even compost them put you, put them in your freezer and then make them into stock when you're making stock um even things like broccoli stalks uh spring onion ends you know anything don't and as long throw as you've it away got, like an alien of some sort in the yeah. stock. So you've got some onion, some leek. Then then you can really, yeah. all those vegetables really add to the flavour, don't they? Yep. I chuck in black peppercorns. Oh. Because I read it somewhere. I don't know. You're wild, Alice. Mm. But it's the same Herbs. applies with chicken carcasses. Yeah. You know, lamb shanks. Don't throw it away. Put it in the freezer and make something delicious with it in a month. True that. Um, Simon, tell us about um, your uh, affinity for a handbag. Mostly I just love, love the marketing. The idea of a handbag just cracks me up. The picture of the pig on it? No, I just think that the, the way it sounds like a handbag. Mm. You know, yeah, I could yeah imagine, we got it. 
a fella Alice didn't get it. Um, Thank you. <laughs> I can just, you know, I'm, I'm just imagining a woman walking around with a ham, you know, on the train yeah. or in, in uh-huh. Newmarket. But it works. You know, you wet this thing, a little bit of vinegar on it as well, and wrap the cutting board, or just the ham itself, uh, and the fridge in it, and it stays so moist. It doesn't change colour like it can. If you're allowed to use that word, moist. We've used much worse words. (laughs) Yeah, that's like that's like middle of the road, man. That's highbrow for this conversation. Um, But it stays very moist. uh, And wet it again again after a couple of days, and your you know your ham will still be good deep into January. Deep. Go deep into January and with a handbag this moist, Christmas. Meased into yeah. a moist ham. Yeah. The problem is I'd never know what to do with my handbag after the ham is gone. Like, you just put, put it in the tea towel drawer at the bottom until next that year. No, but do, you, do you wash it? Do you put it in the washing machine? Yeah, you wash it. Turn, it into, turn your ham bag into a handbag. Oh, I thought you were going to say stock. <laughs> you can, you can stock. chop with it and put your uh, fruit and vegetables yeah. in it instead of the plastic ones yeah. at the supermarket. Thank you very much. Nice. But do you got to wash it, right? Obviously, this is going to be pretty manky. No, the dishwashing machine. How do you wash your clothes? I'm slightly concerned now. My clothes aren't covered in ham you know like they haven't spent weeks wrapping up for a someone ham. that loves ham so much you're really acting like it's some sort of contamination problem <laughs> what do you do with your tea towels and dishcloths do you like throw them in the dishwasher and be like sweet good cycle put that on for an hour and a half that one's pretty filthy put, put the handbag in with your gym towels yeah and you know you'll be all right so ham- great to sort of close the loop on that one handbags give it to your mum for christmas oh lovely But here's one for you, seeing how it's coming up to summer. Don't do beer can chicken. Because, like, the cans have got really toxic ink on them. And they're lined with BPA plastic Mm. on the inside. So you go and fry that can inside your chicken and you're just giving yourself a a, a window. Cancer. Cancer. (laughs) And your children as well. another tip straight out of Essex. Mm. This is good, though. Great coming from you. Do people do beer can chicken? It's oh, very it high time. novelty value, but I see it all the time. Yeah. It's just like I pour I've a lot of beer on my chicken, but it's I don't. Good. Put it's a good, kind of like bogan barbecue, barbecue yeah. behavior, isn't it? So yeah. you were going to talk about what you can do with your Christmas dollars. Yes. Yeah, so while everyone is out and about in restaurants in December, um, you'll notice that the Dine Aid campaign is live. Um, these are restaurants that ask you whether or not you'd like to voluntarily donate two dollars. Um, to the top of your bill and that money goes directly to the food banks um, at the city missions closest to the places that you are dining. So um, if you see restaurants partaking, give them a big high five and thank them for their hard work, for facilitating and thank you guys all for supporting Dine Aid because last year we raised $30,000 for New Zealanders in need. Awesome. Woo! I don't have a salary, Sophie. Can I have some of that money? No, but you can donate to Dine Aid. There's a really cool piece on the spin-off at the moment written by um, Jackie from the Aunties that does provide great guidance on the best places uh, for your um, generosity to go at this time of year. Uh, It really helps you understand what it is that charities do need and what it is they don't, which is cans of chickpeas and tomatoes. Uh, no matter how um, much you want to get rid of them out of your cupboard. 
I would just like to say Merry Christmas, Merry Kirihimeti, thank you to the Hunting Lodge for having us and to Liberty Brewing and the Lawn Bar. Thank you to Tina for being the best producer ever. She's been gesturing at me throughout the podcast to drink up, yes, which I like in a producer. And yeah, Simon, take thank- us out. I just want to say thank you to our sponsors because oh, yes, them, them. Well, it has been really a really cool six months um, having food as a part of uh, the spin-off. I have found a place to put my writing and done some really cool stories I wouldn't have got to do otherwise. My favourite story I might have ever, second favourite story I've ever written was about meeting New Zealand's biggest con man at dinner with Sophie. Hopefully it it was due to us that he got caught by the cops. Um, I wonder what he's up to these days. He's in Christchurch prison. Oh, okay. <laughs> We're still sending emails to people, but Is are he? you allowed to do that from prison? They're letters, they're handwritten letters. Oh, mm. wow. Uh, but we'll put the link to that in the but show none of None of this would have happened. We wouldn't have jailed anyone if it wasn't for uh, Freedom Farms and <laughs> Fine Wine Delivery Company. So you know where to get your Christmas ham and you know where to get your Christmas champagne. Uh, so do it. I one think minute, I agree. One hour, 54 minutes oh my and God. 25 seconds. <laughs> Sophie's busting Merry, to go Merry wheeze. Christmas, That's everyone. the problem. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. We love you. Ready to rediscover the joys of cycling? With over 300 kilometres of cycle paths across Tamaki Makoto, jumping on your bike and going for a ride is such a fun way to discover the city from a different perspective. Cycling is getting more and more popular across Auckland, so now's a great time to join the hype and give cycling a go. Head to at.govt forward slash cycling to find your nearest cycleway today. Kia ora e tewi, te Ai He Butler here, podcast manager at The Spin-Off. If you enjoy listening to our podcasts, consider supporting our mahi by signing up to become a Spin-Off member at thespinoff.co.nz slash donate. The Spin-Off Podcast Network.